Well, this morning, as we continue in our study through the book of Romans, Paul is dealing with the essence of man's sin, the fact that mankind is depraved. Now, he's been making this clear ever since he started this in chapter 1, verse 18, and he will continue this focus all the way until the middle of chapter 3. Now, starting in chapter 1, beginning with the rejection of God, that is always where you begin with evil, with immorality, with sin. You reject Almighty God. But beginning with the rejection of God, we see man's love of sin and immorality. Starting in chapter 2, we see the out-and-out hypocrisy of those who point the finger and judge others, even though it says there in verse 1, all while they themselves do the exact same thing. Certainly an application that all of us can look at. It's very easy to point fingers. It's very easy to judge others when yet we don't like to look at ourselves. As you hear me say many times, we look at other people with a microscope, but sometimes we look at ourselves with a telescope. We don't want to admit that maybe sometimes we're struggling with that same sin. Well, from there, we moved uh, into verses 5 through 11. That was last week where the issue of sin is still in the forefront of the Apostle Paul's mind, but the focus was on the consequences. The focus was on the judgment of sin. And as you can see, Paul got straight to the point beginning in verse 5. Look what he said there in Romans 2.5. He said, Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself, for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. That word stubbornness there, it's actually in the Greek, it's where we get our word sclerosis, which simply means to harden. Okay, so maybe some of you even have a translation that says there, it means to harden. Now this is a, what we call a spiritual hardening. It kind of reminded me of Pharaoh, if you remember Pharaoh, he hardened his heart, what? In opposition to God. It's kind of the same thing here. Paul says in verse 5, this, quote, spiritual hardening caused them to have an unrepentant heart. They stood opposed to anything God had to say. And so instead of repenting of their sins and turning to Jesus Christ in faith, it was the exact opposite. They had no concern at all as far as their ongoing sin, and they refused to turn from it. They refused to accept forgiveness that is offered through Jesus Christ. Now, for some of them, more so Jews, okay, they didn't believe they needed to, if you know the history of the Jews. They would say, well, they're just fine simply because of their heritage, right? We're God's chosen people, we're Abraham's descendants. Are you kidding me? We're heaven bound. This is always their mindset, right? Well, Paul himself, as you know, was Jewish. Paul was a Pharisee at one time, right? Remember that? And Paul here says, without equivocation, he says there in verse 5, he says, you, very specific, you are storing up wrath for yourself for the day of God's wrath, which I believe is the great white throne judgment there in Revelation 20. You're storing up wrath against or yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. There will be a time and a day for God's wrath. Now, to expand on that, Paul basically said, look, 
There's only two destinations available, okay, for when a person dies, okay? Two destinations. First, for the Christian, verse 7. He says, to those who by perseverance in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he says he will give eternal or everlasting life. And so, Speaking here on the actual lifestyle of the believer, he says they persist in doing good by seeking glory, honor, and immortality. Now, if you remember from last week, that word there, or should say those words, persists and seek, they're both in the present tense, which means they continually, the Christian continually persists, continually seeks Okay? In other words, these things are manifested in the life of the true believer. And naturally, as Paul says, they will receive eternal life. Okay? The born-again believer in Christ, the one who has repented of their sins, turns to faith in him. They're the ones who are persistent and seeking these things. And they will be blessed and rewarded with eternal life. But... That's always the contrast there, right? Verse 8, he starts with the word but, and then he says, for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. And so he says here, instead of seeking God, he says they are self-seeking, or if you will, living for themselves. Okay, that's basically what that's saying there. So therefore, enjoying things their way, right? We all like things our way. But he says, instead of, instead of doing things God's way, they enjoy things their way. And he says, they reject the truth and they actually follow evil. Okay, the one actually means, it means they obey truth. They, they disobey truth and they obey evil. That's literally what that means. Think about that for a second. I don't want anything to do with what God has to say, but man, do I love following my evil, sinful, immoral ways. And that's what I pursue. That's, that's the mindset here. And therefore, what, is, what does Paul say? To no surprise, what awaits them, he says, is wrath and anger. You, you might say that God's patience has eventually run out. As MacArthur says, that he will vent his furious anger on those whose works evidence their persistent and unserving rebellion against God. That day will come. Okay, As much as many blessings that you receive from the Lord while living on this earth, common grace, that day will end. When he says God's patience is done and his wrath will come upon those who have literally rejected him in every way. Well, here is where that wrath hits home. Verse 9, he says there, there will be trouble and distress. Or you could say there will be uh, tribulation, there will be anguish for every human being who does evil. And then he says, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. So Paul here says unequivocally, It doesn't matter who you are, right? What does he say there? He says, for every human being who practices evil. I use the word practice there because the word does, who does evil, once again, that's that's written in the present tense, the one who continually does evil, the one who lives their life in sin. And so they practice evil, 
Okay. Now listen, if that didn't rattle the Jews, then this will. He says, first, this comes first for the Jew, the Jewish person. Then, he says, it is for the Gentile. Now why is God dealing with uh, first, the unbelieving Jew. Well, obviously we know that they were God's chosen people, all right? As I said last week, actually in answer to Mark's question, Israel should have known better. If anybody should know better, it would have been Israel. And with that, the unbelieving Jew will receive a more severe judgment because they were given greater light. Israel, the Jews, were given a greater blessing, I went through this last week when I, I took us over to Romans chapter, uh, chapter 9. If you remember, Israel, they had the adoption as sons, right? They had the covenants. They had the temple. They had the law of God, the very law of God given to them. They had the prophets. They had the patriarchs. And you could just keep going on and on, okay? God handed everything to the Jews, and listen, and only to the Jews, Okay? They had it all, folks. As you know, no other nation, look at all the nations around them, no other nations had that. God said, you are my chosen people. They and they alone received the law of God, right? The covenants, the promised Messiah, the prophets, everything. The Jews had that. They had the first opportunity for salvation, and they rejected him. They will also have the first and more severe punishment or judgment. Well, that being said, the same thing rings true in verse 10 as far as the order of rewards for the believers, right? He says once again, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. And then lastly in that section, verse 11, God does not show favoritism, okay? As was just written, there will be an order of judgment, right, for the saved and the unsaved. But God is not going to give special treatment, he says, because of who you are, which, as you know, many Jews today, as back then as well, believe they will get that special judgment. He says, ah, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, God does not show favoritism, he says. Now, in context, Looking back in the first century, I believe that is more obviously towards the Jews. He's reminding them, I'm not given special treatment. I'm not showing favoritism, okay? But for us, it really applies in different areas. You know, some people today think if they're popular, if you're a movie star, or maybe if you're a billionaire, you're, maybe you're the richest guy in the world, maybe you have two different PhDs, uh, maybe you're some high-ranking politician, Right? A lot of these people feel that they're, they're going to be looked at in heaven as if they're somebody special. Okay? But those things and whatever you want to add to it have no bearing at all on God's decision concerning their final judgment. I don't care who you are or what you look like, how much money you have, all those things are irrelevant, as well as if you're a Jew or if you're a Gentile. He says it doesn't matter. I don't show favoritism. Now, as we ended that section last week, we moved this morning into verses 12 through 16, and, and, and Paul is still going to be holding to the issue of judgment, but he's going to be looking at it from a different angle, okay? 
I'm guessing this might even be a, a section that some of you have never really looked at or never even been taught on. Um, maybe I'll look at your re- the responses of your faces to see what happens here, okay? But read with me, if you will, the first two verses, verses 12 and 13. He says here, all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. And so as you can see here, we're still dealing with sin, and therefore we're still dealing with judgment. But you'll notice here that Paul is saying it's not all the same, is it? Sin and judgment is not all the same. It is not a one-size-fits-all, okay? And he demonstrates that by using two groups of people here in this text. Both groups are sinners, okay? But one group had the law. They had God's law, the Mosaic law, right? And the other did not, okay? One group has the law of God, the other group does not. Now, obviously, most of you know, generally speaking here, we're talking about unbelieving Jews and the unbelieving Gentiles, okay? So let's begin here with the first part of verse 12, the first half. All who sin apart from the law, you don't have the law, in other words, they will also perish apart from the law. Stop right there. Now, to answer a couple of questions that I'm sure pop into people's mind, Paul is saying here that if you sin without knowing the law of God, you will not be judged by the law of God. Does that make sense? Hopefully, yes. You won't be judged by the law of God. God will not use his law as a standard of judgment against those people. If you've never had the law... He's not going to judge you by the law, okay? Now, that being said, those people are still sinners. Did you catch that? He starts off verse 12 by saying, all who sin. He makes it very clear. Those who sin apart from the law, they're still sinners. And lastly, if that sin isn't forgiven through Jesus Christ, remember these are unbelieving Gentiles, He says, they will what? Perish. They will perish. Okay? Now, with that, if you're like me, that could be a curse if you're like me, I guess. But if you're like me, it kind of maybe brings up yet another question. How could a person sin who doesn't have God's law? They wouldn't even know what sin was, right? They wouldn't know that they were going against God. God's holy standards. Well, first things first, he didn't say they didn't have anything. He just said they didn't have God's law. Okay, they didn't have the Mosaic law. And that was, of course, given to the Jews, right? Therefore, the answer is they will be judged by the limited knowledge that they do have. They didn't have God's law, but they do have a limited knowledge and they will be judged by that. And those are two things, okay? Number one. Number one, we already spoke of earlier in chapter one, 
and that is natural revelation, okay? They will be judged by natural revelation. Turn back, if you would, just turn back one page, and look at chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. He says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all of the godlessness and the wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And here's why. Because, or since, what may be known about God is plain to them because God had made it plain to them. He says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, meaning his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made or created, so that men are without excuse. You see that? I'm going to read verse 20 again. I'm going to read it from the NLT. Look at how it sounds. Verse 20. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything that God has made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Okay? You might remember some of that study that we did back when we went through that. So God here gave limited knowledge of himself through creation. And some people, as we read that text, he calls the godless and the wicked. They suppress that truth. I want nothing to do with that. I don't want to know God. I don't even want to see God in creation. I want to live in sin. I like my way. Right? That's what they said. Now, look at the following verses, verses 21 through 23. He says, For although they knew God, meaning they knew of God through creation, they neither glorified him or gave him thanks, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And listen to this. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. You can also say idols. Made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Did you catch that? He says here that although they knew of God, they didn't glorify God. Nope. They didn't give thanks to God. Nope. Want nothing to do with that. Right? And then he even gets to the fact of they change the glory of the immortal God for everything he, they see that he's created from the earth to the universe, to the trees, to the streams, to the mountains. They said, nah, no thanks. I'm going to make an idol instead. Bizarre. But that's what they did. They completely rejected God's revelation of himself. Okay? Natural revelation. What we call natural revelation. Creation. Number two, go back to chapter two. They had some knowledge of God, or what you might call a limited knowledge of God, and we see this in verses 14 and 15. Look at verses 14 and 15 there in chapter two. He says, indeed, when the Gentiles who do not have the law, listen, when they do by nature, or if you will, naturally, when they do by nature the things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. 
Since, here's the reason, because they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. Okay? So he's saying there, this comes to us as human beings, part of the law of God comes to us naturally, he says, through our God-given conscience. Okay? You do not have to have the written law of God in order to be responsible for your behavior. Otherwise, people would just say, la, 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 I don't want to hear it, I don't want to hear it, I don't want to hear it, and therefore I'm not responsible for it. Right? But God says, you have it through creation, and you have it because I placed it on your heart. It's in your conscience. Within every single person is at least part of the law of God, the moral law of God. Folks, many non-believers hold to a lot of the principles that are in God's law, even though they don't even know it, right? I mean, they might honor their parents, but they don't have no idea the Bible says honor your parents. They may think murder is wrong. They may not like to be lied to, therefore they don't lie to anybody else. But see, they know these things naturally. They don't have to get it from Scripture because God has implanted many of these things within the human heart. For a lot of people, how they live and what they hold to, it shows that in many issues, they know what's right and wrong. Not everything, but they have limited knowledge of God and his law. It's written on their hearts. See? And we'll look at more of that when we get there. Okay? So there are two things here where man does have an understanding. Natural revelation, creation, right? We read that. And of course, um, your conscience, what God has given us naturally in our understanding. Now, as far as the second half of verse 12, Paul now speaks to those who have been blessed by the law. Second half says, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law, right? Little, just the opposite, right? You don't have the law, you're not going to be judged by the law. But if you do have the law of God, you will be judged by the law of God. And so dealing more here with the Jewish person, not only do they have the light of creation, right, like everybody had, not only do they have the light of conscience, which we all have, but they also have God's law. They have been blessed to have been given the written law of God, the Jews. They know of God. They know of his principles. They know of his moral standards. If you go back to the Old Testament, they know of his Messiah. It's all there. See? They know these things, folk. They take pride in these things. Many of the Jews would brag about this. We have these things. Yet even though they have the very words of God, they sin against him. And many, if not most, actually reject God outright. God says, here you have it. Here it all is. And they reject him. These folks were given the very word of God, the law of God. They were given the word of God, yet they rejected the word of God, and therefore, guess what? They're going to be judged by the word of God. They have no excuse to use the words from chapter 1, verse 18. God handed it to them on a silver platter. 
Remember, no other nation received this. None, zero. The covenants, the prophets, the word of God, right? The temple, the sacrifices, nobody got it but the Jews. And they still said, I don't want no part of it and I reject you. One commentator says, because of this, they will be punished proportionably to the abuse of such an extraordinary advantage or an extraordinary privilege. Right? God said, here, you have everything. No other nation on earth will have this but you. And yet, they blew him off. He says here in verse 12, they will be judged. They will perish just like the unbelieving Gentiles that we just spoke of. But because of their immeasurable advantage of God's blessing and still throwing it away, they will be held more accountable. MacArthur says, though all unbelievers will be there, Jew and Gentile, the hottest part of hell will be reserved for those who have wasted the greatest spiritual opportunity. I mentioned that in verse 9 earlier when I was kind of doing a review there. The hottest of hell will be reserved for those who have wasted the greatest opportunity. Look around all you want, God says. I'm blessing you, Israel. Here is my holy word. Here is everything you need to know. They said no. Let me share with you a couple of the uh, scriptures that kind of make this point of their punishment, okay? Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 12. Just back up a little bit. Luke chapter 12. I'm trying, Lexi, I'm trying. Mm-hmm. 12.47... There you go. Now, I'm not going to have time to go through all of this, as you can see. But later on, I encourage you, if you would, read verses 35 to 48 later on, okay? 35 to 48. He's talking here about a servant and his master. He's talking about the servant knowing what the master wants, okay? Versus another servant who has no idea. Well, listen to what it says in verses 47 to 48. Keep this in mind. This is the principle here of the more severe judgment that's going to come upon Israel because of what they had, but yet they rejected it. He says, that servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment, he will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked, or much more will be required, if you will, as it says in many other translations. So here you see here that the servant who knew his master's will, kind of like the Jews given the law of God, they knew his master's will and they blatantly disobeyed. And he says they will receive what? Anybody know? Many blows. Did you catch that? And then he says, here, but the, but the ignorant, the one who did not know, they too will be punished. But they will receive what? Few. Did you catch that? I hope you guys, you, you've seen the principle here that's being applied? Let's look at one more. 
Turn back just a little further. Head back to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Verses 20 through 23. You always know you're in trouble. You probably have a little heading there above verse 20. Woe to unrepentant cities. Folks, you, I don't care where you're reading Old Testament and New Testament. When God says woe, you're in trouble. That is the ugliest word. Woe to whomever. That is not a pretty sight. Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 20. He says, Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed. Now, why did he do that? Because they did not repent. Right? So here you go. These people have been given the blessing, the opportunity. Here's all these miracles. And they didn't repent. Sound familiar? Let's read. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, listen to this, everybody, but I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. Verse 23, and you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up? to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. In other words, they would have repented. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. So once again, folks, I hope you're seeing the very same principle. They, when Jesus went and did his miracles, they heard him speak. Jesus always gave the gospel, obviously. And he says here that numerous miracles were done in front of these people. But he said they still did not repent. Right? They literally ignored his message. They show that who he is. They show that he's the Messiah. They show that he has the power to heal, to, to cast out demons, to heal the blind, the sick, the lame, you name it, right in front of their eyes. And they said, heh. Nah. Nah. He says they will be held more accountable than others. Jesus even told Capernaum that they would be more bearable for Sodom. Did you hear that? For Sodom. <laughs> Not known for their glorious lives. It would be more bearable for them than Sodom on the day of judgment than for themselves. You see, they were being blessed by all this. God brought favor to them, showed them, performed his miracles right in front of Jesus, did right in front of them. Nah. If I did for, if I did for you over there, they would have repented. But you still rejected me. I hope we're all grasping those principles, see. Jesus had so clearly revealed himself to them. They didn't repent. As Hodge, commentator Hodge would say, going back to, to, uh, to Romans chapter 2, he says, the judgment shall begin with the Jews and it will extend to the Gentiles. The Jew shall not only be punished as certainly as the others, but more severely 
because she has been given, she has been more highly favored. And folks, I hope you keep in mind, it's no different for us today. This still holds true today for those of us who have the New Testament, the New Covenant, okay? We live in a time, folks, listen, we live in a time where we are truly, truly blessed. I hope you understand that as far as the Word of God. We have right in front of us, we have extras, the completed canon of Scripture. Complete. Old Covenant, New Covenant. God's entire revelation from Genesis through Revelation, okay? The redemption of man. If you're going to make one statement for the entire Bible, it's God's plan for the redemption of man, okay? We have the, the Old Testament. We also have the New Testament. And more than that, folks, we have dozens of translations. We have media. We have internet with commentaries, free commentaries, study helps, Greek and Hebrew. It's free. It's on the internet. And yet for those who have all this and have still rejected Jesus Christ, still refuse to turn to him in faith and forgiveness, judgment will be severe. Once again, we have even more than the Jews had, didn't we? We're blessed in what we have. We're responsible for that, right? Turn over your will. This time we're going forward. Turn over to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. We had a great study in the book of Hebrews a few years ago. I thought it was a great study. I don't know about you, but I thought it was great. (laughs) Very, very interesting and in-depth book. Book of Hebrews chapter 10 In verses 26 through 29, once again, I want you to grasp the principle here. He says, starting in verse 26, If we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses, they died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Listen, verse 29, how much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified or set him apart, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? You catch that? Verse 28, we're told that under the law that man would die without mercy for apostasy. And then he says, that doesn't touch the punishment that will come to the apostates under the new covenant. Okay? And you want to know why? Folks, it's because God brought his only son into this world to pay the greatest price possible for the sin of the world. And as you know, that was death allowing the murder of his son, the second person of the triune Godhead, Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, and he suffered for our sin. And yet the apostate, the one who knows the truth, says, oh, sure, I believe it, but he doesn't. He blows it away. The apostate says, oh, yeah, I believe it, and then he turns around and he snubs his nose at the cross of Christ. He knows it all. He said he believed it all. 
He's got all this information right in front of him. He says, <laughs> forget it. Forget it. What does he say here? How much more severely do you think that man deserves? Wow. Back in Romans 2. Let's move into verse 13, which once more will be even more of a harsh reality for anybody, but certainly in context for the Jewish person. Look at verse 13. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it's for those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. So in all reality, folks, the unbelieving Jews were just wrecked in that previous verse, okay? And you wonder what they're thinking now when you go to verse 13. Folks, listen, if there is anyone, as you know, you know this, if there's anyone who heard the law, it was obviously the Jews. They were the ones the law was given to, remember? Nobody else got it. The Syrians, the Jordanians, the Moabites, the Egyptians, nobody got the law of God, but the Jews got it, right? Matter of fact, they grew up hearing the law. I'm sure their parents taught them the law. As they got older, as you know, they went into the synagogues and they heard the law over and over again. <laughs> if anybody's heard the law, they would know, right? But unfortunately, for many, it wasn't just that they heard it. That was it. There wasn't anything else. They just heard it. They heard the law, although they heard it over and over again. But nonetheless, it would be the Jews who would say, hey, man, we're, we're the bearers of the law. We, the Jewish nation, we're the bearers of the law. God gave that to us. We share it with, with each other. We've even copied it, right? All these manuscripts, we've copied it. No one knows the law more than us. We've even memorized some of the law. The Hebrew Shema, we know that. That's what the Jew would say. But what did Paul say? It is not those who hear the law that are righteous in God's sight. Oh boy, I've heard it. Oh yeah. He, he, well, he says that's not what it's all about. It may sound familiar if you remember James chapter 1, verse 22. You guys know it. Do not merely what? Listen to the word of God. But then it says, people miss this part. But then it says, and so deceive yourselves. But, he says, do what it says. Do not merely hear it, do not merely listen to it, and deceive yourself. But do it. Right? Folks, many Christians, just like these Jews back here in Romans, think that just because they listen, just because they hear the word, they're okay with God. I've heard it so many times. I could have told you that story, right? I grew up hearing that. Not a problem. But James, just like Paul says, you're deceived. You're lying to yourself. You think you're good. You're good. I've heard it over and over and over. Well, there's a reason why he says you need to do it, not just hear it. There's a reason for that. 
James is saying the same thing Paul is. You're lying. You're deceiving yourself. Paul says it is not the one who listens to the law who is declared righteous. It's the one who obeys the law. See? Don't worry, I promise we're winding down. Turn back to, uh, to Matthew chapter 7. A favorite section of mine. There's always so much that comes out of this. Matthew 7, this is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. This is just something that you can remember. I know many of you know this, but I just want us to read it and to remember. Matthew 7, verse 21. Whoops, wrong page, sorry. Not everyone, this is, remember, this is Jesus talking at the last days, the, the final judgment, right, where we're going to stand before Almighty God. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who, what's the word? Does. Uh, did you catch that? But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Just because you stand in front of God and say, Lord, it's me. He says, so what? He says, the one who does the will of God. See, the verse above that, that, those are religious people, no doubt. It tells us in the following verses, right? What do you mean, Lord, are you kidding me? I prophesy in your name. I drove out demons, performed many miracles. What do you say? I have no idea who you are. But it's the one who does the will of God. Read further in verses 23 through 27. Therefore, okay, everyone who hears, this is Jesus saying, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, he is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. Remember, he hears it and puts it into practice. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. There's, here's the contrast, but, verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and they beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. A parable, an illustration of the previous verses, which is why he says, therefore. So these people hear it. There's no problem there, but they don't do it. Their foundation is not built on the rock, which, of course, is Jesus Christ. Now, folks, the ones who are a doer of the law, these are the ones who try and obey it, right? God said it. I want to honor God. I want to try and live by it. But guess what? They do realize that they can't. They realize they fail over and over. But yet they repent and they turn to faith in Jesus Christ to forgive them for all those failures, that's what a doer of the law is. I say that because you know nobody can quote-unquote live by the law, right? We all fail. Remember, folks, that's what the law was for, right? We know that. What was the law for? Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. The law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we would be justified by faith. 
You can't be justified by the law. That's the whole point. If somebody, if, if I just said here, here's, if all I did, there's like over 600 laws. If I just said here's the 10 commandments, here, take it, live by it. People are going to fail and they're going to fail and they're going to fail. The whole point is the recognition that I can't keep the law. I, I, you know, don't covet, don't lie, don't cheat, right? Don't commit adultery. Honor the Lord, honor your parents. All the, I can't, I'm, I fail over and over. Exactly. And that's the point of the law. It's to lead you to Jesus Christ because you've recognized I'm a sinner. I can't do it. You're right. And therefore you need a savior, which is Jesus Christ. And that's why he says it's to lead you to justification by faith. Because you can't be justified by the law. It's simply there to lead you to Jesus. It's, it's there to tell us we're screwed up people. <laughs> and that's true. See? Folks, how many people, especially the Jews, have read the text we had this morning over and over and have been rocked? They're like, what? I, what? No. Can you imagine being the first century and being that, that Jewish person and reading that and you're going, whoa, seriously? First for the Jew? A more severe punishment for the Jew? Because you know better. You have everything. God blessed you with everything you needed. First in salvation, first in everything. And yet you said, you have no excuse, he said. And then he says, just because you know the law doesn't mean anything. Just because you can read it, just because you can, you can talk about it, but you don't live it. It's never changed who you are. It's never led you to Jesus Christ. You're still living in sin. You can quote as as much as you want. That in itself won't declare you righteous, he says. How many Christians today need to hear that? How many Christians today need to hear that? That's right. How many people grew up in the church? Maybe people here. How many people learned all the Bible stories when they were kids? Maybe had the flannel graph and all that kind of stuff we talk about. Maybe they grew up and they went to a couple Bible studies. And some of them, you know, they may even be fairly good at attending a worship service. They come to church on Sunday. But they've never did anything more than be a hearer of the word. You know what those people are? They're simply religious especially here in the Bible Belt, right? A lot of people are religious. I call it the religious belt, not the Bible Belt, because not everybody here knows Jesus Christ, but they were brought up with morals. They were brought up with the standard, we go to church, right? That's what we do. And people have done it for many years. People learn the stories, and they've gone to church. They tell your kids to go, because it was the right thing to do. That was just kind of the, the way it is. But how many Christians just stick with that? Because I was brought up in a good moral home, we were church-going people. God's not looking for church-going people. That's a shame. <laughs> See? The same principle can apply there as it can still apply today. How many people need to examine themselves, right? 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Paul says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Because many people will stand before God, as I read earlier, Lord, Lord, it's me. And what did it say? Jesus says, I, who are you? I don't know who you are. How many Christians today can say, well, you, I, I, I mean, I went to the same church for a long time, right? I help with the kids' ministry and all this kind of stuff. I can quote John 3, 16. He says, I, I don't know you. And yet they were shocked 
But that's the whole point. We live in a world today where it's even more shocking how many churches are false, teaching false doctrine that thousands go to, and they're utter frauds. And yet people are the same way. It's, it's a great challenge for us. It's a great challenge there as far as going back to the church in Rome. And we're going to continue this next time as we get into those verses that I mentioned earlier in, in verses 14 and, and 15. He talks about the law being written on your hearts. Using those words that Paul used in chapter 1, verse 18, man is without excuse. We don't have any. God's planted it within our hearts. He's planted it within creation. You have a limited knowledge. If you take what he gave you and just kicked it to the curb, uh, can't do anything for you. Great challenge to listen. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for our time today in your word. Thank you that we were able to go through these scriptures together. Um, I pray, Lord, that even though we look back to the first century when this was written and, and certainly uh, made me see a, a mouth open wide by the Jewish person who's saying, what? But, Lord, he brought it clear and that we can see that even in the church today. How many people fall short of salvation. They don't know Christ. Oh yeah, they may have been church-going people. But Lord, help us in this room, help us, our friends, to see this. To me, Lord, it is absolutely the saddest day in all of eternity that one would stand before Christ thinking that they're heaven-bound. And yet he says, I don't know you. Depart from me, you who practice iniquity. And Lord, we all know there are only two places. There is heaven and there is hell. And if you sin once without forgiveness, you will go to hell. And Lord, that's why every one of us here deserve hell. Every one of us. And Lord, I hope and pray that every one of us here at the same time have come to faith in Christ so he can forgive us of all those sins. Lord, I don't want to be responsible for my sin when I stand before you because I'm in trouble. And everybody is. Help people, Lord, help these, these verses, these texts, to draw people to Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.